Hello, and welcome to the Space Coast Pet Podcast, the podcast for pets and the people who love them. Now, here's your host, veterinarian Dr. Roger Welton. Happy Thursday morning, everyone, and welcome to the Space Coast Pet Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Roger Welton, aka Dr. Roger, practicing veterinarian, coming to you from the Florida Space Coast. Our episode today is a rather hot topic the last few years. There's a lot of information, misinformation about it, a lot of conflicting information, and uh, it's it's about when is the proper time to spay or neuter your dog. Uh, this does not apply to cats. It's, there's really no controversy in cats, uh, specifically to dogs, and, and, and namely uh, big dogs. And uh, when I say big, you know, 40, 50 pounds or larger. A lot of opinions out there. I'm here to sift through all that for you. There's increasing numbers of, of studies out there that uh, they they put out a lot of information, but you got to take it in the right context, and we'll get we'll get into all that. So uh, before we jump into our topic, I have an email from a listener, and it's a it's a great. Great, great email. Uh, it's uh, regarding last week's episode, and I'm just going to read it because this, this person really uh, added a dimension to how to handle the problem of the brachycephalic syndromes that we talked about last week. You know, the pushed-in face braids, and and I, I can't believe I omitted this. So this is Cindy from Atlanta, Georgia, and this is what she had to to say. Dear Dr. Roger, thanks for the episode dedicated to bullies and other breeds like them. I love bullies and I've had them all of my life. And I have to admit, I've seen their health decline in successive generations throughout the course of my life having these dogs, including, as you talked about, a decreased ability to breathe. I would like to add to what you discussed about things we could do to make sure that we are not supporting bad breeders that continue to weaken the breed. OFA is a foundation that tests all manner of health systems of prospective breeding dogs and rates them. For example, my most recent bully's parents are eye, heart, hip, and elbow certified. I think a breeder taking on the expense and diligence of going to these lengths is committed to doing things the right way. Thanks for this show. It is so great to have you posting episodes so often. Sincerely, Cindy, Atlanta, Georgia. So great point, Cindy. Thank you for adding that. Uh, I talked about some measures that you can take to protect yourself uh, as far as adopting. Uh, and I think by bullies, I'm, I'm, a lot of English bulldog owners call their dogs bullies. Um, so I think that's, that's what uh, Cindy's referring to. And that was one of the breeds we talked about as far as the brachycephalic syndrome. I'm not going to re- Iterate all of that. I would encourage you to listen to that episode if you want to hear more about it. That was last week. Uh, it is archived. But um, yeah, so for for really any breed, OFA, yeah, that's a great starting point. Uh, it started with um, it's the Orthopedic Foundation for Animals, and essentially it started with just hips uh, because of the onset of hip dysplasia um, that you know started to. You know, as pure breeds became increasingly popular and the inbreeding you know, situation got worse, uh, the Orthopedic Foundation for Animals came along and 
hey, let's get the parents certified uh, prior to breeding, and let's let's prove that at least the parents in in the uh, the generation immediately behind the puppies that we're purchasing uh, don't have significant hip dysplasia. And so, in the case of hips, they'll rate the hips from excellent to good to fair to all the way down the, to poor. Um, I don't know if abysmal is uh, a category. I, I, it's been a while since I've done OFA certification, but essentially um, in the case of hips, for example, the dog would come in to my clinic. We would uh, give it a gentle sedation, and then we would uh, radiograph or x-ray the hips in uh, certain positions. And those x-rays then get sent off to a panel of radiologists. So they're uh, board-certified imaging specialists. All they do is read images, and they rate the hips. Well, that extended into uh, sh- uh, elbow certification, um, and now we're not we're going into uh, you know uh, heart certification now. Obviously, that would be uh, like an EKG, X-rays, ultrasound. That would all be done by cardiologists. Um, and then you know we're we're getting eye certified. Of course, that would be done by ophthalmologists. I think all that's fantastic. So thank you, Cindy, for bringing that up. Because a person calling themselves a great breeder, in my opinion, is not a great breeder unless they're doing these things. Um, and that's a great way to make sure that we're striving to better these breeds and we're holding breeders accountable and they're proving their, their accountability. Um, you know, that that's outstanding. I can't believe I forgot to bring that up. So thank you, Cindy, for that. So let's jump into our topic today. Uh, when to spay and neuter? Well... Oh boy, this has been challenging because there's so many pros and cons uh, when it comes to to uh, deciding when, when is the right time. So I think the biggest uh, issue we've had is as it pertains to, to large breed male dogs. Um, there has been a couple of studies, one out of Tufts University, one out of uh, University of California, Davis, actually a few out of UC Davis, um, that suggests that there is an uptick in orthopedic disorders in male dogs when neutered prior to a year of age. So traditionally, we were neutering around six months of age. Uh, ideally, to, to have these dogs' uh, sex hormones removed before it was causing unwanted male behavior. Uh, that would be aggression, marking, um, it would be territorialness, uh, mounting, humping of, of your guests or you, <laughs> things like that. That can be rather obnoxious when you're dealing with a, a large animal, certainly a giant breed animal. And so there's been this big sort of push to kind of holding off until a year of age. And, and that's okay because as opposed to spaying the dogs, and, and, and with the spay, the, the, the same type of things have not really been of any statistical significance when, as it pertains to orthopedic conditions, but there's been uh, a reported slight uptick in certain uh, cancers, specifically in golden retrievers um, that we saw at uh, in the UC Davis study. And I believe there's another study that uh, talked about an uptick in the incidence of osteosarcoma, which is bone cancer. So um, let's put all that into perspective because... You know, we have to balance the, the good with the bad. So what really prompted me to engage in this episode is, is, is two things that occurred this month 
The most recent was yesterday. So in the spirit of making sure that we're not putting the large male dogs you know, at, at, at any additional risk for orthopedic problems, and, and specifically we're talking about a slight uptick in hip dysplasia and a slight uptick in t uh, tears of the cruciate ligament in the knee. Um, uh, the study that, that identified this was actually done over 14 and a half years and looked at retrospective data. I believe it was about a thousand dogs. Um, and, uh, you know, statistically the uptick was there and you have a thousand dogs and, you know, that's a nice sample of, of patients. And so you pay attention to that. Um, but what happened this month was, uh, you know, just, it really opened my eyes to some of the consequences of waiting. So the first case I had was a Labrador retriever. The owner uh, did not experience any unwanted male behavior. And so she just continued to watch the dog up until about 14 months of age. He still stayed a big mush. You know, a lot of the dogs don't necessarily, or not a lot, let's, let's, let's rephrase. Some of the male dogs don't necessarily get so adversely affected by the testosterone. And this dog didn't change one iota. He's a beautiful, big, mushy, yellow Labrador named Tucker. I couldn't, I couldn't love a patient more. Um, but when it came time to neuter him, uh, he, this is, yeah, again, maybe it was a little over a month ago, but irrelevant. Um, you know, when we, when we, we have a term, uh, when, you know, teenage boys are, are starting to uh, show their teenageness and, and their maleness and attitudes change. And, and, and the same applies to dogs, by the way. We say the balls are dropping. <laughs> um, well, that happens figuratively, but it also happens physically. Uh, the testicles of a juvenile dog are going to sit higher. They're not going to be, they're not going to have as large a blood supply. Uh, the scrotum is going to be smaller and the blood supply to the scrotal skin is going to be less. And so when you neuter these patients when they're around six, seven months of age, there is less bleeding, there's less complication. The main complication we'll see with neuters uh, occasionally is we will get what's called a scrotal hematoma. So the sac, we don't actually routinely take away the, the scrotal sac after we do the neuter. We actually push them up into the inguinal canal, make a little incision, pop them out, ligate, close it up. So the scrotal skin will just basically kind of just shrivel up. Um, occasionally it will fill with blood. If there is a little skin bleeder, that just kind of continues to trickle in, and, and that can be rather uncomfortable for the dog, and it literally looks like they were not neutered. Uh, in fact, the scrotum looks sometimes bigger than before they were neutered. Um, usually it's a self-limiting complication. We give them some pain management. We war uh, warm-pack the area to facilitate... I'm sorry. We cold-pack the area to facilitate... Um, vasoconstriction so we can you know uh, stop stop the uh, any additional bleeding and usually within a couple of weeks things are good well you get these mature dogs and at 14 months this this dog had reached full sexual maturity these balls had dropped and i you know performed the neuter routinely everything was just so bloody um every time i tied off one bleeder um you know there, there was, there seemed to sprout another one. The main ligatures of the the, the, the artery and vein that that supply uh, and take away blood to and from the testicles, those ligations went fine. Those usually aren't the, typically the problem. It's all these little stupid little bleeders, and and so 
I tied off all, clamped and tied off all these bleeders. And then as we, as I was closing, every time I would just throw my needle, it would cause another bleeder. I mean, it just, it was uncanny uh, just because there's so much blood supply because this dog was so mature. Well, Tucker developed such a severe hematoma. This dog was in pain. I mean, this thing blew up uh, to, to proportions that, you know, I have not, I've not commonly seen. And things got so bad that the skin got so taut, the scrotum actually started to become necrotic. So the skin started to die. So I had to go back in and ultimately uh, do what's called a scrotal ablation where I remove all that skin, flushed it out, and and reclose. And and ultimately everything turned out great. But it was, you know, quite a bit for Tucker to go through. And mom had to take him to the emergency clinic one, one, you know, the the, the first night that he was like really starting to be uncomfortable because it was a Sunday, we weren't open. And so that cost her additional funds. She went through the emotional toll of it. And, um, you know, was it really worth it for slight upticks in these orthopedic conditions? And I'd ask myself that. So my policy ever since Tucker is, well, if we're going to wait to over a year of age and these dogs are going to be sexually mature and physically mature, I'm, I'm not leaving a scrotal sac behind. Uh, because statistically, once a dog reaches full sexual maturity over a year of age, about 50% of them are going to get a hematoma. And at the very least, it's going to be uncomfortable. At the very worst... They could go through what a Tucker went through. Um, tuck, the Tucker situation isn't isn't typical, but again, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna, I'm not I'm not gonna risk that again. So, um, case in point, <clears throat> I had a giant breed yesterday. Uh, this dog's also 14 months. This was just yesterday, and I did an ablation on him, and and you know, it costs it costs more. It's more expensive, but you know, if if this is gonna be the owner's choice. That's the only way I'm going to do it moving forward. I'm not going to have a repeat of Tucker. And um, I, I think other vets are following suit. At, you know, We just need to remove this, this skin because it, it's such a risk to form a hematoma. So this particular dog, the, the, this, this procedure wasn't the problem. Uh, this dog, as a puppy, as a Great Dane, uh, was a wonderful puppy. He's so sweet. I loved seeing him. His name is Troy <laughs> Harlequin. Uh, just a lovely, lovely puppy. Always, always enjoyable. And here he comes in. He's now 135 pounds, and he's very aggressive, um, you know, growling at everybody. We uh, walked him back uh, to put him in his run as we prepared to uh, put together his pre-anesthetic protocol. And as we returned to go get him to bring him out for his examination, he was so cage aggressive, no one could touch him. And a dog that large can do a lot of damage to a person. So we actually had to call the owner to have him come back to come get his dog out of the cage and even then, we still had to put a muzzle on the dog so I could complete my examination and we can give him his pre-medication injection, which, uh, you know, thankfully calmed him down. But we still didn't have the owner leave at, out of risk that we felt um, he could become cage aggressive again, even with the pre-anesthetic uh, uh, injection. And so the owner had to hang around for another half hour until I was ready to do surgery. And we, you know, induced him right there, intubated him, wheeled him right in. Well, the saga didn't end there. The surgery went great. You know, I did, I did the ablation. Um, couldn't have gone better. And then as we're waking the dog, we decided to wake him in an exam room instead of putting him back in a cage again for risk of cage aggression. He woke up uh, disoriented, and we call it a stormy recovery. And stormy recoveries typically uh, are just the dog kind of flopping around and vocalizing and crying. This dog, in his disorientation, 
just went too uh, super aggressive and went right for my technician. And uh, basically, she got her hand away just in time. You heard the teeth just kind of clamp down. And had her hand been in there, I mean, he clamped down so hard, she could be missing fingers, right? And so then he comes out of it, um, and we just kind of backed off and let him kind of flop around like a fish. There's nothing we could do. Um, he comes out of it, and then he is um, he's, he's still very aggressive. He's lucid now, but couldn't get near this dog. So once again, got to call the owner. Hey, uh, we need you to come get your dog. <laughs> Uh, you normally we would keep them for the day and you know a few hours monitor them make sure we double check the incision before we go well the owner had to come back uh, stop mowing his lawn <laughs> and 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 come give the dog a hug for us uh, with a muzzle on because he's still growling uh, so I can inspect the incision to make sure that during his stormy recovery he didn't damage the incision which he didn't thank God but I use this as an example of okay well now was this worth it um, to have a wonderful puppy turn out to be an aggressive, skittish, potentially dangerous dog. Um, and apparently the owner filled me in that he's not only become kind of people aggressive, I really wish he would have told me this beforehand, that would have been nice to know this, but he's also become severely dog aggressive. Uh, wants to go over after any dog he sees, um, except for the one he lives with, thankfully. And so, you know, was, was this worth it? Um, and you might think to yourself, well, you neutered him now, and all those hormones will go away. Maybe maybe he'll improve. He may not. Um, I, I believe statistically about 66% of dogs that develop aggression as the result of testosterone and sexual maturity, there's, there's only 66% will have some of that aggression subside post-neuter once the hormones are out. So, you know, the jury's out on this one because, you know, I'm going to be very wary of this dog every time I see him, but at the same token, he, he may improve. He may not. This might be his demeanor for life. So these owners didn't want to risk an up, a slight uptick in hip dysplasia, slight uptick in cruciate ligament tears in a giant breed dog. And I understand that, but now they have an aggressive dog on their hands and they're very frustrated by it. The, the gentleman felt very badly and he's very frustrated that he's turned into this kind of dog. The reason they got him is because the same breeder they had gone to uh, had produced a female har harlequin that is just as sweet as pie. Uh, just a lovely, lovely dog. And they're like, oh, we're going to go back to the same breeder. We're going to get a boy this time. Well, guess what? This one didn't turn out like the female. Uh, this one uh, has major temperament issues. And I think, you know, they came from the same parents. I, th I don't think it's a result of necessarily inherited aggression. I think testosterone and I've seen it before, can have a very negative effect on, on, on Great Danes. It just can uh, on, on several breeds, but, but particularly Great Danes, I've seen a lot, a lot of aggressive uh, intact males. So hopefully he falls in that 66%, but, but you know, the, these owners are stuck with this potentially for life, and we got to deal with them for life, which is not fun dealing with an aggressive 135-pound dog. And again, I ask you, was it worth it? Was Tucker's situation worth it? Um, I look back at all this and I think to myself, if if I had a, you know, I'm, my, my favorite breed is the Labrador Retriever. Many of you have been listening for a long time would know that. I love labs. Right now I have a female. I rescue them, you know, so I don't go out and buy them. So I, I end up with whatever needs rescuing. Uh, usually <laughs> when I'm not really in the market for a dog, but uh, in my case right now I have a female. My previous uh, dog was, was Bernie. 
an 86-pound Labrador Retriever. I neutered him right at six months of age, um, and, you know, he turned out fine. Now, orthopedically, no, no problems, never tore his knees, um, you know, no, no, no issues with Bernie there. And, of course, one dog doesn't make for, you know, uh, a, a major source to, to draw conclusions, but, you know, I'm taking all of this into account, and, and Bernie was, like... <laughs> A, a mush love muffin even by Labrador Retriever standards and he was an amazing dog to raise children with he didn't have one iota of dog aggression in him I wonder if that would have been different you know had I let him reach sexual maturity before neutering him but I, I think in hindsight I'm gonna even if I end up you know one day rescuing a Dane or a Mastiff or you know some giant breed or large breed dog I'm still gonna neuter him at six months of age that's my own opinion now, my clients are welcome to have their own opinions, but here's how I approach males, and we'll get into females in just a moment. I tell the client, I say, look, I understand that these studies are out there. There is, you know, again, some, a slight uptick in these, in these conditions. We cannot deny that. But do you, would you prefer to risk the slight uptick of the orthopedic conditions, which you can deal with those, by the way, in most cases, I fix knees all the time. Um, or do you want to potentially deal with a complete and utter 180 temperament change? Um, have a dog that's potentially marking in your home that's potentially dog aggressive and people aggressive. Is Do you want to risk that? Because that's, that's what's in the balance here. Um, do you want to have to pay triple for the neuter because I, I'm not going to do the neuter without doing an ablation because I'm not going to risk another Tucker situation. You know, I have these conversations with them. And um, generally what we leave it with is, is the, the, the reasonable owners that aren't caught up in dogma of uh, that, you know, that the dogma that can be created on the Internet and among people with, with really strong opinions that are not always logical. My reasonable owners generally say, you know what, I'm just going to take it, you know, month to month after six months, if I start to see any of that unwanted behavior, I'll just make that appointment right away. And, and then there's other people that say, you know what, I don't care about this light uptick. I don't want, you know, some, some, some male dog who's going to be humping my guests and marking and, and getting aggressive. I don't want that. I don't even want to risk it. I'll take my chances with the slight uptick and hip dysplasia and knees. And, and, and so that's, you know, what the owner decides is really entirely up to them, and I'm not going to sit back and judge it. Um, they're they're going to do what they like, but I just I'm, I'm clear about the consequences, and I want to be clear to you about the consequences. Is it worth it? And you know you have to decide that for yourself and your your male puppy. So females, that's another ball game. We're not as worried about um, orthopedic conditions. Um, there there was a study that did show a slight uptick in dysplasia and a slight uptick in cruciate tears. And then another study did not show it. Um, so conflicting data there. What study do you believe? You know, both. I think one had like 700 dogs. One one had over 1,000 dogs. And so nice nice sampling of, of patients there. But to me, one cancels out the other. There's no conclusion there just as of right now. Um, but some people will cherry pick the one study that shows it, and they want that dog to have a couple heat cycles before they spay the dog, or they'll choose... Some not to spay them at all. So, um, what are the consequences of that? And and let let's bring in the uptick in cancers as well. So, 
The study that was done in Golden Retrievers showed in females that were spayed, and it was specifically Golden Retrievers. I, I don't like purebreed studies. I, I like to do it across many breeds. You know, maybe pick large breed, giant breed, whatever, but, but don't just pick one breed. Uh, in my opinion, but UC Davis did this, and there was a slight uptick shown in um, cancer of the spleen and uh, in in dogs that were spayed under a year of age. Um, Splenic cancers, when we look at them, golden retrievers are kind of our poster dogs for those. If I can think of any one breed where I see cancer of the spleen most commonly, it's it's golden retrievers, but even then, you know, the incidence is quite low. I don't recall the, st- the exact st- statistic of the incidence of splenic cancer overall in, in goldens, but, but it's, it's quite low. Uh, you know, I want to say the number 0.3% comes to, comes to mind. So um, if you're going to have an uptick in that, yeah, you hear that, and that's concerning, especially because the breed tends to, it tends to happen more in, in golden retrievers than other breeds. But what's the other cancer we worry about in all female dogs? That's that's going to be mammary cancer. So mammary cancer is breast cancer. Only instead of two breasts like humans have, dogs generally have ten. So mammary cancer is a very serious thing, and when we spay the female before the first heat cycle, the preventative aspect of the spay, because this is one of the reasons we are recommending spays, because it dramatically reduces the incidence of mammary cancer in female dogs. Um, It's gonna reduce it by 88%. That's pretty high. If we let that dog have a first heat cycle, that preventative aspect of the spay drops to 55%. If we let them have a second heat, 25%. Um, and then if anytime you spay them thereafter, so you have a breeding dog, let's say, that obviously you're not going to spay her, but once you retire her, as you should, around five years of age, you should still spay her because thereafter it still is 25% preventative for mammary cancer. So let's compare mammary cancer to spleen, splenic cancer as far as overall incidence. An intact female dog, this is going to blow your mind, has a 21% incidence of mammary tumors. So that's tumors within the mammary gland. 25%, one in four of those tumors are malignant. You're talking about an overwhelmingly more common cancer than cancer of the spleen, even golden retrievers. So... <clears throat> Let's compare mammary cancer to osteosarcoma, bone cancer. At first, it's rather startling when you hear, well, we see double the incidence of bone cancer in spayed females versus non-spayed females. Some people will hear that and say, well, I'm not spaying my dog. Well, the bone cancer is even more rare than cancer of the spleen. We're coming in about, this, this, this statistic I do recall, overall incidence. It's very rare. I might see a bone cancer case once every two, three years when I see a lot of dogs. Um, The incidence, now let's compare that to mammary cancer. 21%. So if you double the incidence of osteosarcoma at 0.1%, you're still looking 
at an overall incidence of 0.2%. Yet if you leave a dog intact and you don't spay her, you're looking at 21%. So, you know, which one are you more worried about? Um, you know, I, me, I'm more, far more worried statistically about mammary cancer. And by the way, I told you I see, I see osteosarcoma or bone cancer once every two, three years in a patient. I see mammary cancer once a month, <laughs> you know, and, and why? Because usually because the female was either spayed late or she was never spayed. You know, so, you know, these dogs come in and I got to do a mastectomy at the very least where I take take the mammary with the tumor um, and also the, the local lymph nodes there. Um, in some cases, it's spread to multiple mammaries. So I'm actually having to take two. Um, in some cases, I'm taking the whole chain. That's not fun to go through. And depending on the grade, surgery may not be curative. It may have spread elsewhere. So, you know, the grade and stage... You know, yeah, I'll surgically remove these things, but if it's, you know, stage two, grade three, that dog is probably going to die, right? Um, it's just the reality of things. Stage one, grade one, okay, we probably saved that dog's life, but you had to pay, you know, a couple thousand bucks for surgery and your dog had to go through that. Um, all because you decided not, not to spay the dog for these other reasons. So it's a choice. And again, I, 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 just, I just give my clients the evidence and I just say, you got to look at this in its totality that just because we're reducing the incidence of spleen and bone cancer, we're increasing the incidence of mammary cancer, which is far more common. What's, what, it's, like, it's kind of like a pick-your-poison scenario. I think the far bigger poison is mammary cancer. So again, my own female dog, and I have a female, <laughs> Stella. I spayed her right at six months on the button. Six months on the button. So that's my opinion as a pet owner. I'm not going to risk mammary cancer. It's not worth it. Uh, Stella will now be my fourth female dog. My previous three, I spayed right at six months. Uh, none of them had orthopedic issues, and none of them got mammary cancer. And so that's what I'm sticking to. Um, again, small, small sampling, and that's my own experience, but my experience as a veterinarian tells me that I feel it's still a good idea to spay them at six months. The last thing I'm going to bring up with females is there is a condition called urinary incontinence where they can dribble urine. Usually it happens when they sleep. It is related to the spay. We see it happen 7% more in females that are spayed. Um, it almost almost doesn't happen in unspayed females um, until they're very, very old and, you know, they're going to be incontinent anyway for, for age-related reasons, same reason we get incontinent. Um, 7%, you know, that's a pretty good number. Uh, I, I, I do see urinary incontinence occasionally. I might diagnose three, four cases a year of, of straight-up urinary incontinence where they will, they will um, lose the tonicity of their internal urethral sphincter, which is the mechanism of control when the patient's at rest. That's why we don't wet our beds when we sleep. Same for dogs. And so they'll, they'll typically just wet their beds. Well, you know, I don't really worry about that because it's a super treatable condition. We uh, treat it with a, a medication called Incurin. All it is is a synthetic hormone replacement that specifically targets that internal urethral sphincter. It's super safe. It's not expensive. It's like 30 bucks a month, 30, 40 bucks a month. 
and you put them on that, almost always fixes the problem. So, you know, another fixable thing, certainly I'm more concerned about mammary cancer. So real quick, let's touch on breeders and, and their quote unquote contracts. <laughs> so there are some breeders that are saying that the buyer is not to have the, the dog spayed or neutered, or let's, let's go with the spay until at least two heat cycles. Uh, some will say at least one heat cycle. Uh, they, they want the, the owner to endure that, uh, and it's they're contractually obligated, and basically the, the breeder can come take the dog back were they to violate the contract. And then they'll do the same thing with males. They are not to be neutered before you know this certain age, usually somewhere between 12 and 14 months, and violation, blah, 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 blah. Well, first off, the contracts, <laughs> they're kind of funny because I don't think I've ever seen one that was properly, like, written. So these, it's like these breeders type them up. It's not written up by an attorney. So I don't even know if they're legally enforceable. <laughs> um, but secondly, as soon as, as soon as you purchase that dog from a breeder, that breeder relinquishes all right to that dog. It's a transaction. It's like saying, and, and, and I hate to put it this way, but it's, it's the truth. <laughs> it's like saying, I'm going to go to a car dealership and I'm going to purchase a car and the owner of the dealership has very strong feelings about how you should, what kind of gas you're going to put in that car. And he says, well, I want you to put super high quality, high octane, expensive gas in the car. And if you don't, I'm going to come take the car back. Well, he can't do that. I don't want to get high octane gas. I want to get regular unleaded, the cheapest stuff I can put in there because I don't care about that. <laughs> and no one's going to make me do it, especially with gas prices the way they are now. Um, that's, that's how the law views a dog. It's, it's, it's kind of sad that they are viewed as property like that, but at the same token, that is the reality. So that breeder has no right to tell you what they can, what you can and can't do with your dog. So don't ever fall into that trap where, oh, the breeder said. Some of them also put in the contract that you can't, you can't have your dog inoculated with leptospirosis vaccine. It's so stupid. I won't even get into that. That's a whole tangent that <laughs> um, I'm not going, going, not going down that path today. But the bottom line is you are the one that makes the decisions about your pet in consultation with your veterinarian you come up with the best decisions and you know that's entirely up to you you don't have to worry about some breeder contract you know sign away so you can purchase the dog but but in the end they can't legally have access to any records you don't have to tell them anything <laughs> if they showed up on your doorstep and said i want to check your dog for a space car you can say get the hell out of here <laughs> leave you have no right to that um, so yeah, don't, don't worry about that. So really that's the skinny. Um, you know, my own opinion is I'm not risking, you know, a, a nasty hematoma. I'm not risking aggression in a male pet as a pet owner. I am going to neuter any male dog I get at six months of age. Um, and that applies to the females as well. I'm more concerned about mammary cancer than I'm concerned about splenic or osteosarcoma. I'm not worried about incontinence because it's so treatable. So I'm going to spay that my own pet at six months of age. Should the owner feel differently, then that's their right. I had a lady recently. Um, she refused to spay her dog at all. And it was a Boston Terrier. And this is a really, really good client. Super nice lady. Very agreeable. But she 
just had very strong feelings about it. And, and it was not until um, her dog turned, is a Boston Terrier, turned five years of age. And on a routine physical, I found a nodule in the mammary. And I said, well, this has got to go. <laughs> uh, we should biopsy this. This, is, this could be cancer because she's not spayed. And by the way, we should spay her because this is a mammary tumor. She, she'll probably get more. And we'll, we can still decrease the incidence of mammary cancer by 25%. And so I ended up doing a mastectomy and spay on this dog. That was her choice. I didn't disparage her for it. I let her make the choice. I let her, you know, experience the consequences of it without judgment. And she told me that future dogs, she's never taking that risk ever again. Um, sometimes you have to live it to to have a different, a change in perspective. And so, you know, on the male side, if you do feel strongly about the orthopedic side of things, um, you know, you can you can take it month to month after the six months of age as they approach sexual maturity. You start to see knuckle-headed behavior, I know a good strategy, nip that right in the bud. The more ingrained that behavior gets, whether it's aggression, marking, humping, whatever, um, the harder it is for it to go away uh, after we neuter them. Um, I have a technician who kind of bought into these studies. He's a brilliant technician that works for me, and she, on her Labrador retriever, she waited uh, to about a year and a half, and the dog started to show some unwanted behavior. And um, so she decided to have him neutered at that point. Well, that behavior didn't go away. And she's frustrated. She wished she hadn't have done that. You know, and she feels that she gets a future lab or other male dog that she won't do that again. So it's entirely up to you. I'm just presenting you the facts and you make your best informed decision you can. That is all I got for you today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. I'll be back with you next Thursday. Keep those listener emails coming. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com ACP. Non-transferable, one-per-household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.